Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. And if you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate that. You can join us in the chat. Follow us on Twitter, at Outkick360. We broadcast live from Studio G, Nashville, Tennessee. The Blackbird Studio and the theblackbirdacademy.com. Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, David Reed, the chairman of the board, Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, uh, down the hall, plus uh, Regan McCrossin and Sarah Triplett, our production assistants today. Clint Lamb from Outkick.com will join us in 15 minutes. Plus, the Tennessee Power Hour is the VolQuest Power Hour every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern, noon Central. Brent Hubbs, Austin Price with the very latest on Rocky Top. Gentlemen, a lot to get to today. The next two hours will fly by. What's up? Oklahoma and Texas has sparked conference expansion madness once again, which happened a decade ago last time, and uh, I'm here for it because every time we talk about the possibility of this, there is a turnkey that goes into another possibility. We get to another layer of it. Yesterday we talked about Pac-12, Big 12 merging. So many possibilities out there. Looking forward to discussing it again today. Layers and levels. Uh, I've, I've got one off something I read at The Athletic that I'm very curious to see what you guys think about for the next down-the-road thing after the SEC probably goes to 16. Well, let's, let's start with the news this morning. Uh, and, it, and it branches off of what we were discussing and theorizing yesterday. And that is Greg Sankey was not caught off guard by the news at SEC Media Days on Wednesday with the leak and the report from Texas Sports Nation and the Houston Chronicle that, te that Texas and Oklahoma wanted to join the SEC. Reports are now that Sankey and both, both universities have been discussing this behind the scenes for upwards of six months. And one crucial bit of information with all of this is Texas A&M has been left on the outside looking in as these talks have gone on behind the scenes. The Aggies have every reason to be really upset here. Oh, yeah. I mean, the SEC knows how A&M feels about Texas, that A&M is going to be against this move, and I don't know how much has been shared with the members of the conference as this goes on, but clear, these reports clearly say they've tiptoed around A&M so that they don't know and it was Kirk Bowles. I, I, I'm going to give him credit for the report from the uh, Austin American Statesman. Uh, and I'll just read directly from his tweet that I've pulled up. Uh, prominent Big 12 source tells the American Statesman the Texas OU move to the SEC is almost done. Quote, they've been working on this for a minimum of six months, and the A&M leadership was left out of discussions and wasn't told about it. Move could become official in a week. That bit of information coincides with what Chad was saying yesterday, that we could hear something as soon as next week on Texas and Oklahoma coming together and saying we're making the move to the SEC. They also met as a conference, uh, the Big 12 did, yesterday around 5 o'clock to discuss all of this. This is masterful that they kept it quiet. I mean, the SEC is as heavily reported on as just about anything in America, second only to the NFL, right? that this could be kept quiet is impressive. Is that remarkable. suggests that Sankey kept it in a very tight circle. So I'm not yeah. saying that ADs in the, in the other 13 schools knew about it anytime, you know, early in this six months or anything like that. But still to know that they were tiptoeing around the Aggies so as to minimize their counter moves or the friction that they could cause that's not very good treatment of one of your member schools. You're treating Texas better than you're treating Texas A&M. 
And Texas A&M is on the inside and has brought you money and has been a good soldier, right? A good member. And you're treating the incoming member better than you're treating the existing member. I, I, I could see why the Aggies are very upset by this. Never mind that you're about to bring in the team, the one team that they don't want in. It, it's awful treatment of A&M uh, by Greg Sankey in the SEC. There's also nothing that A&M can do about it yeah. because they're not going to leave to go to the Big 12. And here's something else that I, I predict will happen. They're going to vote for Texas and Oklahoma to be in the league. You know why? Because the SEC doesn't do split decisions. They are going to bitch about it up until the time it happens, and then they're going to come back and say, you know, we ended up voting on it, uh, yes, because of this. Well, a no because vote will mean nothing. Because it's better for the conference. Right? A no vote will mean nothing. Well, it's, it's, that's it's a, what, a dissenting opinion. It's going yeah. to be a 14-0 vote. For the SEC, even though it's not going to be a 14 to zero vote, well, because if you it's going to be four, way closer than that. If you don't have four, you don't have any. Publicly, it's going to be 14 to nothing. That they're going to sit in, they're going to sit in whatever room they're in, or in Zoom conference or whatever. And until they all decide this is all or nothing, you can have your disagreement with it. But if it's voted in, it's going to be a 14 to nothing vote. We're not going to have dissenting opinion when it comes to adding these two teams. I think that's going to happen. I think this is all but done at this point. There's also now reports that it's going to take a while because the best option to get in the SEC quickly, let's say it's so awkward this year in the Big 12, you got a lame duck one season, and they decide to join the SEC next year and refigure the schedule and divisions and everything else that we're going to talk with Clint Lamb about. The report I saw was it would be half of the grant of rights for the next four years which is estimated at $76 million. It would be a $76 million buyout for both Texas and Oklahoma. Over $150 million coming into the Big 12 for them to leave early. The other possibility is they ride it out. They make the decision now. Three-year lame duck or two-year? Four-year. Oh. Well, four football seasons, 21, 22, 23, 24. Grant of Rights Agreement is up in June of 25. They could join the football season in 2025, right as ESPN and ABC gets the deal, and That's they a hell don't of a owe long anything. Wait. Hell of a long way. At that point, they're still collecting checks in the Big 12. They owe nothing. They step right into more a more lucrative situation in the SEC. Everyone's happy but the Big 12 in that scenario because then it also does give the Big 12 more time to try to figure out what they're going to do next with Texas and Oklahoma in the league. But which of those two scenarios they choose is, is going to be interesting for the direction of both of those conferences in the short term and the long term. So we mentioned it's going to be hard to find teams to vote no on this. We, we know Texas A&M would certainly do that. Reports were that Missouri was on board with voting no. Uh, late yesterday evening, this is prior to the Big 12 CEOs and ADs meeting, there was reports that Arkansas would also could, may vote no on this. I wonder how close they could actually get to getting the four no's needed to meet the to to, to uh, not allow the SEC to meet the seventy five percent member well, how threshold. How strong is A at rallying support? Right, they're going to be the ringleaders here. But to me, that's why that's why Sinky has done all this behind the scenes and why First. he's very smart because you gather the support, you sell, and you pitch everything behind the, the scenes end. before presenting it yeah. publicly because you know it's going to pass. You don't take it to a vote until you know it's going to pass. Um, and, and Texas and Oklahoma certainly wouldn't want that to happen either. Yeah, look back. Right. It's terrible. It, it's going to pass. <laughs> we it's, we all know it's going to yeah, pass. That's, that's but, how I view but it. But how much, Chad, do you think now, and, and the three-year, four-year lame duck thing is an awful scenario, I mean, with this looming, 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 but how much now do, does Sankey and the rest of the <clears throat> SEC – come back to A&M and work like uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski as, as a top diplomat to smooth things over and to repair this? Or is it a little bit like, hey, you're SOL? I do think this story leaking about them flirting and talking with them for six months and every other school at least knowing something about it, except for A&M being left out of it, could lead to A&M being the one dissenting vote when they publicly release the, the votes of it and say, no, we're out on that. Um, here's the other thing. So, Hutton, let's go with your scenario. Let's say it's Arkansas, Missouri, A&M right now say no. What would drive another school to say no to this possibility? Kentucky's fear of Louisville? No. So, Clint Lamb wrote this, okay? I'm going to give – this is what I would want to know, all right? If I'm D Danny White at Tennessee as an example, okay, 
This looks good from a financial standpoint. It helps the brand of the SEC. I'm all for that. What do the divisions look like? What do constant opponents look like? I need to go back to my football coach and tell them competitively what we're going to be in. Clint Lamb says what he thinks will happen, and we'll talk to him about this, is a division featuring Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Vandy. And in that, Tennessee's constant crossover would be Florida and Georgia. Now, if I'm Danny White and I'm Tennessee, am I willingly signing up to probably never win your division, ever, in that setup, in those teams that you're playing? And people can laugh and say, well, they're not going to win it now anyways with Florida and Georgia in their division and Alabama. And they're playing Alabama anyway. But still. That's killer. And I'm just using Tennessee as the example. If you're in such a disadvantage within your division and with the crossover opponents, um, would that lead a school to say from a – because we're making all these decisions based on football. Would that lead a fourth school to jump in and say, I don't like the scenario that's been thrown out for the future of the divisions. I'm out on them joining. I, see, I, I like asked it you that right yesterday. Now. Is this good for everybody with two teams coming in that could it's, lead to a thing where you're you're down the pecking order and you're going to lose? It's good more. for everyone financially. I'm just to me that's the only scenario that's because a, that's no not one a good else scenario. has any problems with Oklahoma and Texas the way Arkansas, Missouri, Texas A&M may have issues with former conference members in them. So that would be the only thing that I could think of that they come back and say. Will Greg Sankey even give them a hint of what the divisions would look like beforehand? Well, you got to have a hand in it, don't I, you? The whole conference. Am I wrong in thinking that if I'm in a leadership position, I'm I'm thinking much more broad and long term with this than I am just okay, who's in my division? Because we, what I have to figure out and assess and and try to do as accurate as possible and following Sankey's lead here, because he is leading the NCAA, he's leading college football. Where is college football going to be a decade from now? What does the college football landscape look like in determining a national champion and determining uh, is, it a, is it a power five super conference? Is it two massive conferences that are playing and then come together for a national title or a playoff? What best positions my school and my conference to get a bigger piece of the pie than anyone else? I want complete ownership. And if I can't have complete ownership, I want the biggest piece of ownership. Majority ownership. I want to control the college football landscape. I want to control TV deals. I want to control streaming. I want to control every bit of news and information that comes out, every decision that's made on how we're going to go about the business plan and the business model for college football, which is for the taking right now. Because the NCAA is out. They have less power now than they ever have. And we have NIL coming in. We the, uh, teams on top of NIL are able to compensate players for academic reasons. It's going to be a free-for-all, and we're going to be able to police ourselves. How does the SEC want to position itself in monitoring the college football landscape? Uh, to me, it's bigger than just, are we playing Georgia and Florida every year? Well, and let me clarify, too. That scenario I just laid out, I think, is fantasy because Tennessee's not voting against this. And I don't think anyone else is either. But that's the only thing in my head that could prevent it if you have three hard no's, could you have one team that gets the scenario laid out of divisions that decides it's not for them? I don't think so because of what you just said. It's either you have or you have not. And the SEC will have forever if they add Texas and Oklahoma. And the AD is, is looking around saying, I want to have, first and foremost, you have to have a healthy athletic department and you have to have money. And we are set up to do that forever if we make this addition. And that's what we want to do. And we'll let the chips fall where they may in terms of competition, coaching hires, personnel, everything else, and how competitive these separate programs could be for, for the foreseeable future. And if you're the Big Ten, aren't you calling Texas and Oklahoma and trying to make a sweeter deal? If you know that they're talking with the SEC. See, it's another reason. It seems Texas like it's will too talk far to anyone. down the road. Oklahoma may say no. Because the SEC is the only conference Chad, that they would I, leave them leave the Big Twelve too far for. down the road. Texas are, no. will flirt with anyone. They're, I, they're open to whatever the best deal is. Why wouldn't Kevin Warren have already done that? Greg Sankey's doing it. Don't know. I, I like. And then if not, the next step is find the most aggrieved Big Twelve programs that could work in the Big Ten and go to them mm-hmm. and poach them. them. If it's Oklahoma State, whatever the most valuable brands are. Oklahoma State, I mean, go through the list. Texas Tech, maybe Baylor, whoever it may be, go get those programs 
and add them to the big team. You're always very good at the big picture and the long-term vision. I don't disagree with anything you said. But I do think there are ADs and coaches who are very powerful people. Oh, yeah. Who are concerned about the schedule in two years, three years, who need to win games to preserve jobs, who aren't going to be thinking like you're thinking and Sankey's thinking, and they are going to be very concerned with their pod or their division or whatever because they got to work and preserve. What would the SEC landscape look like with a Texas and Oklahoma? Clint Lamb from Outkick.com will join us next to hop in on that discussion. Outkick 360 rolls on, but first, this wonderful shirt that Chad Withrow is wearing is from MacWeldon.com slash Outkick360. We've been wearing Mac Weldon all week. Uh, You can upgrade your summer style with the brand that's reinventing men's basics. Mac Weldon, so much more than just underwear. The full collection includes t-shirts, polos, button-ups, shorts, pants, swims, and much more. With light and breathable fabric technology, Mack Weldon keeps you cool and comfortable all summer. From work to working out, happy hour to playing with your kids, Mack Weldon has men's essentials for whatever your day includes. And you can dive into their swimwear collection, the swim line, trunk, board shorts. But when you're not in the pool, Mack Weldon's new Maverick Tech Chino Short and Radius Short are the perfect additions to your summer wardrobe. They're going to keep you comfortable so you can confidently power through your most active days. And Mack Weldon, they've got a free loyalty program called Weldon Blue. Level 1 gets you free shipping for life. Once you reach Level 2, by spending $200, you get 20% off every order for the next year. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com Outkick360. Enter the promo code OUTKICK360. That's MacWeldon.com OUTKICK360. Promo code OUTKICK360. Mack Weldon, reinventing men's basics. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network and from Outkick.com. Clint Lamb joins us where you can read his work on all things college football, SEC focused as well, does a great job. Uh, hosting a, a daily radio show on the Ump in northern Alabama, 2 to 5 p.m. daily, uh, and does great work at Outkick.com as one of the featured contributing writers. Clint, we appreciate the time today, man. Hope you're well. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. How about the craziness uh, of, uh, of all of this at SEC Media Days on Wednesday with the news coming out from Texas Sports Nation and the Houston Chronicle that Texas and Oklahoma are looking for a way into the SEC and then as you, as you put out there uh, this morning at OutKick, this has been going on behind the scenes for several months. What, what are just your general thoughts of the concept of Texas and Oklahoma to the Southeastern Conference? Personally, I love it. And, and for somebody that covers the sport, uh, especially the SEC, you're talking about just the absolute perfect timing for this stuff to come out. You've got SEC media days. You had you know, eight of the 14 coaches were making their first appearance or at least their first appearance in their current roles. And so to be able to do that um, and then you start getting the Bryce Young NIL, you know, potentially reaching seven figures, that became a huge talking point, which made the the week a lot more interesting. And then you have the absolute bombshell of Oklahoma and Texas potentially joining the conference and it's created a ton of discussion. Um, you know, some people feel like they wouldn't do very well in the SEC. Me, on the other hand, I think Texas would, you know, within the next five to seven years would become one of the uh, top programs in the conference just because of the branding and the recruiting and the the the, the deep pockets that they have over there in uh, in Texas and the state. I think they would do extremely well. And so I'm curious to see it a happen and then b you know how long it takes for some of these teams to become competitive. Clint, I'll first say I like your plan for the four division system and those divisions and crossover opponents better than your story today, which you can read at Outkick.com about what you believe the SEC's plan would be with this. Um, are you firmly committed to four divisions being the solution with Texas and Oklahoma possibly joining the conference? And if so, this is a common question that people will throw out. How do you solve the SEC champion dilemma with four different divisions? Is it a semifinal situation to get to a champion? How would you go about doing that? Well, you know, that's this entire thing is going to be a puzzle to figure out. When you start adding 
you know, two teams to the mix. It's a 16-team super conference. You can no longer have uh, just simply have eight uh, conference games. If you want to be able to have everything work out, you would have to go to nine conference games, and that way you can keep the the seven division, one crossover, and then one rotating uh, into play. I think four, uh, a four-division solution would absolutely work. Uh, granted, the only thing that you would have to, you know, try to figure out is rotating those – teams that are not part of a your division which you would play three division opponents and then two permanent crossover opponents that way you can keep some of those you know rivalries that have been built over the years alive you know i think that uh, you know it would certainly work if you could get that figured out but a big reason for it is i think that it would keep a lot of emphasis on the regular season because you start increasing the college football playoff and the number of teams that are going to be included in that uh, I do think that the regular season, at least to some degree, will start to become watered down and maybe not as interesting. But if you have you know, teams competing for something other than just trying to get into the college football playoff and you know that you're just competing with essentially three other teams, if you got to a point where you had four automatic bids to the college football playoff, and that wouldn't happen. I don't even know if it would happen with 12 teams or even 16 teams. I think 16 would become a lot more realistic to make it automatic bids for whoever won their particular division. But I think once you start getting up there, and I think that we do eventually get to 16 and 20, I just think the money's too much. Um, and, and with you creating super conferences like this, I think everything becomes a lot more difficult. And you're absolutely right. The the conference championship question is one that's going to get brought up you know a ton and you could certainly you know try to do something where you take the the teams with the top winning percentage that were their division champions or in my opinion as you start to increase the college football playoff teams that are included in the college football playoff i think you very quickly reach a point where conference championships maybe don't even get played because you know as you add more games you can only do that so many times to you know these young student athletes before you start getting some pushback from people and and one potential solution going to you know 16 teams or even 12 teams or 20 or whatever you you know ch- kind of pick for it would be to eliminate at least one game through the conference championships. And then you start talking about win percentage and and standings and things like that. It will be very interesting to see how it all plays out, but I think you could get by without having conference championships as you continue to increase the number of college football playoff teams. You wrote in both of these pieces about divisions. We've been talking about divisions. Other people are using the word pods. Is there any difference between a quote unquote pod plan and a division plan or are people just substituting the words? Uh, there is a difference um, from everything that I've understood about the pod system. You do away with the divisions uh, and, and really what you do is you don't have divisions. You have what's called a pod system where it can be a three team pod. It can be a four team pod, but to preserve the rivalries and having certain games every single year, you know, if you're Alabama and it's a four pod system, uh, the four teams that you would play every year would be, you know, an Auburn, an LSU, a Tennessee, and probably because of proximity and the fact that they're the two closest teams, teams uh, to each other in the SEC, I think Mississippi State would probably be the fourth, but you would play those four teams every single year. Um, comp- and and then, of course, you would take win percentage to figure out the top two teams to go to the SEC championship or whatever else you wanted to do with that. The The division is a little bit different, and I personally like it. I like the fact that you're, you know, there, there's, like I said, there's more to play for. And I think that when you're trying to make the pitch to the college football playoff for getting as many uh, teams as possible from the SEC into the college football playoff, I think, you know, if you're the fourth best team in the SEC, uh, that doesn't say as much as you being able to say that you're the North, you know, uh, division winner or something, you know, similar to that. So I do think that the, at least personally, I think that the conference uh, would do well doing the divisions rather than doing the pod system. But from a scheduling standpoint, either one of those is going to be a lot easier than keeping the two eight team, you know, divisions uh, with 16 teams. I just don't think that that's a realistic thing. And a lot of people are pushing for that. But I just I don't really see how that works out. Clint Lamb with us from Outkick.com, and you can read his work there. You can follow him on Twitter at Clint R. Lamb. Clint, bear with me here because I'm going to throw out a scenario for adding inventory to what's already a massive bucket of cash for the SEC with this. Did you consider an all-SEC schedule uh, where you have four winners of the pods play in a four-team SEC playoff? 
You have two semifinal games. That's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You have your championship game. We know how much that would be worth. You pay a, a, a simple a 12 conference game schedule only, and you create more inventory, much like the NFL has done with the extra playoff opponent and the extra regular season week. <laughs> that is not something that I had considered, but it is something that I'm going to consider moving forward because I do think it's all about money. That's what right. all of this has been about. Um, and, and the fact that you're talking about the amount of money that you could make off of that. The reason that I dove into this entire thing in the first place, Clay was actually the one to come up with the four division system, or at least was the first person that I had seen with the system of having the th uh, playing the three division teams plus having two crossovers. And I just took that and I started to kind of expand on it a little bit and, and actually start to play some of these teams just because I thought it was going to create a lot of excellent conversation. And now that you're talking about that sort of system, that's something even more so that I think would be a lot of fun. You keep excitement going. You give people an opportunity. Like I said, what I worry about with expanding the playoffs, and I think it's a question that a lot of people have, is keeping interest in the regular season. Um, you know, if you're an Alabama fan, you have maybe you know two or three games a year max on the regular season schedule that you say, okay, that could potentially be a problem. It doesn't mean that you can't get upset, but it just means from an excitement standpoint, that's very you know you're worried about two or three games. If you continue to increase the number of playoff teams, then Alabama can now – it's not a matter of, you know, if I lose one, okay, maybe I can still get in. Now it's, you know, it, there's some scenarios where you could lose all three and still get in um, or two of the three. And so I just think that people won't be as worried about, you know, if an NFL team loses um, during the regular season, if losses start to mount – fans care a lot more but on a singular basis it's just not as big of a deal as it is in college football it feels detrimental in college football and i kind of like that because every game feels important i understand from the money aspect i understand that the excitement at that point would come towards the end of the season when you get to the college football playoff but for now, um, you know, I am looking at ways to try to preserve the interest in the regular season. And if you had teams being able to get into some kind of SEC playoff to kind of figure things out, that would certainly do that because it would give more teams an opportunity to continue to have something to play for. And Clint, certainly money, the driving force here. I'll throw another word out there that's a driving force, survival. And with the changing landscape of college sports, with more money being paid out now, uh, to athletes with the one-time transfer rule, the SEC and other conferences are thinking about long-term survival, and this would certainly ensure that for every team that's in the SEC. But when Ross Bjork and this report hijacks SEC Media Days, and we will talk a little bit about your SEC Media Days takeaways as well, Texas A&M has a right to be mad. They were left in the dark. We understand Ross Bjork wanting to go there, do interviews, give their case for Texas A&M being the only school in Texas in the SEC. But when all said and done, because of that word I threw out, survival, is there any real recourse for A&M with this other than being the one dissenting vote, which the SEC hates to have that because they're going to want to publicly have a 14 to nothing vote for these two teams joining? Is that really the only recourse because we know A&M's not going anywhere? Uh, yeah, I would say so. And I completely agree with you. I think that they have a gripe. Um, I've enjoyed watching Texas A&M become, you know, a much better program. If you look at the 10 years, you know, the last 10 years they spent in the Big 12 from a recruiting standpoint, from a record standpoint, you compare that to Texas um, during that span as well. And then you look at those two programs since Texas A&M has joined the SEC, there's no doubt how important uh, them having that SEC logo on their jersey has been to their ability to climb, you know, into having top 10 uh, recruiting classes fairly consistently from competing for college football playoff spots. And I think that's a major reason, one of the major reasons, there's plenty, but I think that that is certainly a major reason why Texas would love to make this move because it eliminates that advantage for Texas A&M. And if you're Texas A&M, you know, you worry about, okay, that's kind of the one thing right now outside of just kind of having more recent success that we have on Texas. And I think that, uh, that entire program is really worried about Texas coming in, which they should be. That should be an obvious statement. Um, but it, at the same time, there's not a whole lot you can do. Uh, you know, it, 
it, none of us knew watching what was taking place, whether it be answers that Jimbo Fisher was giving, Ross Bjork, um, you know, those guys, they were fighting a losing battle when they were talking about it at SEC Media Days, and none of us really knew. This went way deeper than any of us could have ever even imagined as far as the length of time that has been being discussed. The fact that they've been able to keep this completely under wraps for that long I think is, you know, very surprising. But it's going to change college football forever, and what's wild is that how many things have we said that about during this offseason, just alone? You know, you're talking about the one-time transfer rule getting passed. That's completely going to change the dynamic as far as roster management and things of that nature. You talk about the NIL coming into play, and now you're talking about, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, two of the biggest brands in college football, joining the biggest conference brand in college football. And we know what that's going to create, watching all these other conferences try to you know, compensate and and go and find a solution of their own that's not even going to come close to rivaling that um, even a little bit. But, you know, college football, as we, as we know it, is, you know, going to be completely changed. But in some ways, it could end up being better. Uh, we'll just kind of have to see. Clint Lamb from Outkick.com is our guest. So we know that Nick Saban does nothing by accident and says nothing by accident. So when he talks about a possible seven-figure deal or deals for Bryce Young, who has yet to be the starter at Alabama, he's doing that on purpose. Now, I know he was a little bit more cagey when asked follow-ups about it, would not give specifics. Do you believe that he's pushing a million dollars in revenue uh, right now with NIL? And even if that's not true, how big of a recruiting win for Nick Saban in a program that gets plenty of recruiting wins to be able to put that out there publicly? There are so many places that this could, you know, have gone wrong as far as how the information got out. And I do think it was planned, but, you know, some people have been accusing Nick Saban of lying about it. I don't necessarily know that that's the case. It could be a situation where, you know, he misunderstood something as far as talking to agents, what Bryce Young could potentially be making by, you know, X date or where we project him. And now he's kind of thinking, well, if that's where they expect him, that's where he's going to be. And, you know, maybe that's where that number comes from. I don't really know. Uh, but, you know, it, it's I think it was alarming to a lot of other teams for sure. I mean, you look at the way that Lane Kiffin responded at SEC media days. Um, he was completely floored and, and like the rest of us um, to the point where he got asked a question, uh, you know, a couple of questions later. And he had to revert back and, and continue talking about that because he couldn't get over it. And I think it's because he understands where old Miss players are at right now from what he probably knows it's nowhere even close to being in that ballpark. And that's been the major concern uh, as far as, you know, passing the NIL laws is giving these prominent programs like Alabama with that sort of branding, the ability to maybe get their players a little bit more. And how is that going to make, you know, college football recruiting, you know, that much more lopsided, if any, which I do think that it's going to at some point, at least to some degree, but it, this entire situation with the NIL, um, you know, as far as what they're making right now, I, I fully expected it to get to the seven-figure range at some point. I thought it would be a lot slower than this. If it's true and, and Bryce Young, who, like you said, has not even taken, taken a starter s snap yet, um, is already reaching that number, and you start thinking about where Trevor Lawrence would have been last year or, or Tua Tungvaloa the year before, um, you know, kind of heading into the season, the kind of money that they would have been making – um, it's it's an incredible uh, how quickly that all this stuff is starting to grow and what you know could potentially come of this later on down the road. I fully supported uh, players you know capitalizing off their name, image, and likeness. Um, I didn't like the idea of schools paying players like some people had suggested, but I felt like, you know, if you can go and make money off of your brand and you can use that and combine it with the brand of a school to, to put money in your pocket to help take care of your family, I thought there were some benefits to that. Um, you know, not of course for the player, but also for maybe, you know, players not feeling as much pressure who don't need to be leaving early for the NFL to leave. Um, and, and so I thought that it, there was some benefits to it. We'll kind of have to see what comes both positive and negative from it, but it's absolutely mind blowing that, that, um, you know, Bryce Young could even potentially, even if it's, you know, half that I was thinking, you know, neighborhood of, you know, starting to get into the six figures and stuff early for players like him, maybe by the end of the year, you start talking about several hundred thousand dollars, but if he's already reaching, you know, close to seven figures, you're talking, We'll be talking eight figures before you know it. 
You think there's any potential for the SEC to tinker with the schedule? If it's waiting four more years before Texas and Oklahoma arrive, you think he'd just stick with the schedule as it is? I've read a great piece at The Athletic. Georgia's not been to Texas A&M. Won't be there till 2024, 12 years after the Aggies joined the league. They're just going to swallow the scheduling inequities until uh, reconstruction of, of, of everything we're talking about here. And how bad has it been when something like that has happened? Uh, you know, I would love for them to take a, another look at it and change some things around. But just with, you know, the way that kind of COVID uh, affected the scheduling last year and the way that it pushed some games to the future and, um, you know, the way that they've started really trying to put an emphasis on, on the schedule as far as, um, you know, future schedules kind of shifting from the neutral site games to the home and homes with prominent programs. Uh, they've, they've been putting a lot of work into that and then to have kind of a wrench thrown in it when you plan on changing it up in a couple of years anyways. Uh, it's something that I would like for them to take a look at. I just don't think that they will. I think they'll leave it as is. And then, uh, you know, kind of reassess things once, you know, Oklahoma and Texas inevitably joins the SEC. Clint Lamb with us from Outkick.com. Clint, if the member institutions for the SEC don't vote yes on Texas and Oklahoma, they know that another conference will. I mean, surely there are other conferences that have inquired with both universities. With that in mind, do you think it stops there? Or do you think this opens the door for Florida State, Louisville, Georgia Tech, Clemson, where we have seen teams like Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, uh, and, and others band together, South Carolina, to keep those other schools out of the SEC in the past? They would vote no. Does this open the door for further expansion down the road? That is actually a great question. Um, I doubt it. Uh, I think that the way that Kentucky um, and and Florida and you know Georgia have approached this entire um, you know situation is with the understanding this doesn't really affect us. You know we see the the benefits of it as far as you know financially. Um, you know, adding brands like that. But if you start talking about Florida, the state of Florida, um, you know, Georgia Tech and, and the state of Georgia you know, Louisville, I just, I think that with that, you know, underlying kind of gentleman's agreement, as far as, uh, you know, voting against adding any of those schools, I personally would think that that would remain intact because those schools still don't, as much as they love the idea of adding schools, they also don't want to give up, you know, they're asking Texas A&M essentially to do something that they're not willing to do, um, if I'm speaking candidly, or at least that's what I think. Um, you know, but, you know, we'll kind of just have to see, uh, but that is, you know, very interesting because I, like I said, you know, 16 teams, once you start getting into super conference mode, you know, where does it really stop? It doesn't have to stop at 16 teams. I mean, you can keep going. I mean, it's going to, especially if you're breaking it up into four divisions, um, you know, I I would be curious to see how that kind of looked and would have to go, you know, look into it further, but, you know, quite the interesting question. Clint, I want to ask you about two new coaches in this conference. One, you're in the state of Alabama, Brian Harson. How do you think he's set up for either success or failure at Auburn, given his track record and given the fact this is really the first time for him to coach in this part of the country and recruit in this part of the country? The other one is the guy I think that was maybe the least memorable of the four coaches, the new coaches. That's Josh Heupel at Tennessee. And with Tennessee fans in this perpetual cycle of over pumping their tires with a new coach, maybe it's a little bit refreshing that there's no expectations with Josh Heupel as Tennessee's coach going into this season. What did you make of both of those guys? Well, as far as Brian Harson, um, you know, <laughs> I think that it was a bold move for him to, you know, kind of take his stand. I respect him for it. You know, a lot of people would have given into the pressure as far as the questions about the vaccine. And his thoughts on it, you know, he was very, you know, people make their own choices. I'm going to allow them to make their own choices, uh, which I, you know, respected. But, you know, I thought he did a pretty good job at SEC Media Days as far as his early success. um, You know, I think Auburn could potentially be better than people think. Personally, right now, I have them, you know, probably somewhere. I've kind of ranked the SEC West in tiers. Um, I've got Alabama and Texas A&M and, you know, and LSU kind of on the border there in that tier one, I've got Ole Miss kind of in a tier of their own, or maybe with LSU a little bit, depending on how good or bad LSU is. 
And then, but then that last year, I can't really distinguish between Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Auburn. Just, you know, how if you ask me to rank them right now, uh, I I probably would try, but I just think they're so close in the way that this thing can go. It's very interesting. But with with Brian Harson and Auburn, the fact that he didn't have a whole lot of experience coaching in this part, or excuse me, recruiting in this part of the country, the fact that he was able to go out and get, you know, a, a fantastic coaching staff to surround himself with with Derek Mason who's got plenty of experience doing it um you know with uh um you know other people you know Mike Bobo the offensive coordinator he's got plenty of experience uh recruiting and coaching in the SEC so I thought that was extremely smart and I thought it was very uh Sam Pittman of him you know a lot of people downplayed what Sam Pittman could be in his first season at Arkansas or you know not just in his first season as the head coach of Arkansas, and he surprised a lot of people because he did a great job of going out there and surrounding himself with people who have experience as far as his coordinators um, and, and even people like Barry Odom who have experience as far as being a head coach. And he picks his brain and, and really tries to learn from what he says. And I think that if Brian Harson is smart, even though he's got head coaching experience, you need to be listening to Derek Mason and Mike Bobo and some of those guys just to kind of learn – you know, the ins and outs of this conference because it's much different than anything he's probably ever experienced before, um, you know, even including, you know, the days that he spent at Texas and such. Um, so, you know, I think that Auburn could be better. Like I said, a lot of it's going to depend on Bo Nix. Um, I do think that he has the ability to take the next step in his development and they could end up doing a lot better than people think because they have the complimentary run game. I think the defense is going to be pretty good. Uh, the only question marks really remain on the offensive line. And, and, of course, replacing Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz at receiver as well. But I think you've got enough there to be better than people expect, which is a, you know, six and six, seven and five. I could see them getting eight and four. But I think, you know, seven and five would be a nice number for them in year one under Brian Harson. And then for Josh Heupel, you know, I completely agree with you, uh, you know, to – even with, uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt in the past, you know, just his personality was the type where he would get headlines and, and the program would get talked about. And in some ways that's good. But for right now, if you're Tennessee, you probably don't want a lot of headlines. You know, things aren't going well. Normally when you've got headlines going on and you're talking about Tennessee, it's things that aren't good. So for him just to kind of put his head down, start, you know, installing his his system getting the guys in place, getting them to buy into what he's trying to, to, you know, where he's trying to lead the program and just kind of stay under the radar for now. From a recruiting standpoint, that might not seem like a good thing, but in some ways it can be just because, you know, uh, right now the only news that you're getting is bad news when it comes to Tennessee. There's not a whole lot of great to talk about, and hopefully you get your players in the field and they start surprising people and the headlines and the topics start to change and you start moving things in the right direction. But I completely agree as far as how he performed at SEC Media Days. I didn't think it was bad. I just think that everybody else uh, involved was a lot more entertaining or a lot more informative or, you know, just were able to generate headlines more. And, you know, you kind of forget that he even, you know, was a part of the equation at times. Even, even uh, you know, Vanderbilt, their job at SEC Media Days, the players, the, you know, uh, Clark Lee, I thought I think that they all did a fantastic job as well. And I, I really liked what I heard from them. Um, you know, all three, the two players and the coach. Uh, so, you know, Tennessee's got some work to do, but I think they'll end up being okay. Clint Lamb has been our guest. Clint, great work, man. We, we appreciate the insight. This won't be the, the last time. We'll, we'll have you on the show for sure. Uh, and uh, we'll be tweeting out the link again to, to your work at outkick.com. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Clint. Thanks, man. Clint Lamb has been our guest. Again, read his great work at outkick.com on the SEC, on the scheduling, on the pods, and everything involved with the conference expansion for Texas and Oklahoma into the SEC. YouTube.com is where you can go and subscribe to the Outkick 360 channel. And by doing so, you are automatically entered to win the Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack. It's a full car stereo system. Sony and Hertz Audison will be drawing a winner from our subscribers to the Outkick 360 channel on YouTube at the end of August. So, go to YouTube, search out Outkick 360, hit subscribe, ring that bell so that you know we go live each and every weekday at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, and when we post exclusive content to the channel. And by doing that, you're entered to win the Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack valued at over $2,500. 
Plenty of other headlines to hit today, Paul, as well as continued discussion on expansion. Well, I've got one more here, uh, and you were talking very long range about the vision 10 years from now. I was really struck by this in a very good piece. The Athletic oftentimes with uh, with big news gets four or five writers in a, in a conversation. And they had a very good one here in which Josh Kendall offered this as they were talking about would any current SEC members jump to another conference, mm-hmm. you know, if, if this unfolds. Hear me out. I'm going to read a section of this. I want you guys to react. I, 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 I find this very interesting. He said, nobody's leaving on their own. The money's too good. Now, that doesn't mean the next round of realignment doesn't include contraction. If the future of broadcast deals is heavy on streaming, with new bidders getting into the market who don't have the infrastructure or the desire to broadcast eight games a week, it wouldn't shock me if at some point Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, LSU, and we'll say Auburn just to make it an even eight, say, what do we need these other guys for? We're bringing the big money to the table and dividing it 16 ways this doesn't make any sense. Now it's me talking. We're talking about it, the money driving everything. Ultimately, what does Alabama need Missouri and Vandy and Kentucky for if it's got this list of schools and the super conference really is the super eight of the super 16? You're saying just play the eight teams well, around it's, I'm saying ultimately after you do this, then you say, hey, the eight schools are actually the ones bringing the money not the 16. We're giving some of the money to Vandy and Kentucky and Missouri who aren't really bringing the money. They're taking some of the money. If we cut it down to eight, we'd have that much more money. I think it's much harder. First off, those schools are just grandfathered in, and maybe this yeah, is the no, one I, thing where they actually have some principle about themselves. Tradition. That they're not just going to kick people out because people have talked about kicking Vandy out of the SEC for 30 yeah, years. Yeah, you can't. Because they're not bringing it up to the table. <laughs> but you know what It's I'm not going to happen. And I also think it's – I'd have to go look in the bylaws, Paul, because we know what it is now to vote teams in. I think it's much more difficult to extract a team. I, I, do I think too. it would take – it would take an act of God to remove uh, an original SEC member that's not bringing as much money to the plate than that. I mean, it's an interesting idea. I just – it seems like we're going more towards addition – to form a super know, conference instead change. of subtraction. Eight years from now, I wonder if somebody's Possibly. thinking like that about the money. Hey, if we had a half as many teams, I'd be getting twice as much money, and we'd have, we've got the eight best teams. I mean, it's clearly going to well, be haves and haves not, have nots for football. Yeah, they're not going to, I mean, basketball's not a driving force at any of the. Well, the, the NCAA tournament is a massive driving force for money. Right, but they're all, tournament. they're all in the tournament. The conferences don't care about the tournament. It's the, the one thing the NCAA conference. does well, right. that yeah. they want them around for is to continue to run their championships, mainly NCAA mm-hmm. men's basketball. I just thought players. it's an interesting idea that nobody had, had raised. I thought, well, it's speak. interesting, yeah. I mean, I, it, and, and that, that is on the horizon of the Amazons and the streamers coming together and approaching and just b- becoming a, a league, yeah. an ownership group. Yeah, and do you want... You know, there's some that want all the inventory they can get, mm-hmm. but there are others that want all the, uh, you know, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Texas, Florida, Alabama they can get. Some headlines today. The Cleveland Indians will soon be the Cleveland Guardians. That announced on Twitter uh, by the organization, and they, they released a, a photo of uh, a mock-up image of their new logo with the G surrounding a baseball with some wings on it. Uh, they're, they're going with the Guardians instead of the Spiders. Paul, you would prefer the old name. Well, the Spiders had some history. Un- unfortunately, it's terrible history. They were a terrible, terrible team, <laughs> but it's what Cleveland's team was originally. We've spent some time in Cleveland together, all rise. The Guardians is a thing there. They've got these statues on the bridges. It's a Cleveland thing that America's not that familiar with and will become familiar with if it cares. Um, so I, I, I get why they're going there. The video is very polished. Chad came over and watched it. With I heard me. it. It was very They've good. got Tom Hanks doing the voiceover and Black Keys music in it. And it's a very well done, sleek production. So people will, will give it a chance there. Nothing sounds good when you first hear it. Tennessee Titans didn't sound good. Baltimore Ravens didn't sound good. 
nothing sounds good, um, and particularly when you're replacing something with a, with a long-standing history. They could have done worse. They could have done better, I, I think. It's, it's uh, when you, whenever you replace something that is um, so iconic and noticeable to the broad public, and I think the movie Major League had a big part in this, to be quite honest, because it's such a crossover hit, and you know people that aren't big baseball fans like that movie, and they see the Cleveland Indians logo or the Cleveland Indians uniform, and they remember uh, Rick Wild Thing Vaughn, and you know not their starting second baseman right now. A lot of times, it's just I understand the difference between Redskins, Indians, and Warriors, for instance, right? I I can differentiate between those things. But many people who want these names to go away can't. And that's going to be the problem. If you answer to every whim of, pe- of everyone out there that wants something eliminated in sports, there, anything that's historical has some bad history to it. Any name that's out there, you can go find. You don't have to dig that far to find some bad history that wouldn't vibe well in today's society that you could get mad about and remove. So... My only thought on this is I think the name is stupid. Uh, I think changing the name is stupid. I, I don't understand the Guardians. I, I think Guardians of a Bridge, I think of a troll. Call them the Cleveland Trolls if they're going to be <laughs> Guardians of a Bridge. I had no clue. I, I don't, I'm sorry, Paul, I've never heard of the Cleveland Spiders either. I think that's also equally dumb. I think the Cleveland Indians was fine. I understand that they wanted to change it. Whatever. Let's just not continue going down this road with everything because I think that you could start to look into other names and find something with all of them. When are they? So hopefully we're close to done with. Is this, this officially changing next season? I think so. So it's not like now. No. 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 They're finishing this year. With all the the gear and the merchandise. But I think that everything they have now is like Cleveland, right? Yes, it's, it's, it's all C, and, which yeah. I think looks good. Yeah. I like this the classic C. I don't like this mock-up. I, I, well, I don't they know. could keep the classic C with the Cleveland uh, Yeah, Guardians. I think they should. And the Guardians typeface is the Indians typeface, so it all echoes yeah. that. To me, here's the thing about changing the name. They could have, the org- organizationally, they could have made it a tribute, right? They could have worked it to be a, a tribute, which I think is, uh, you know, maybe wasn't the intent at the beginning, but would be fine if you're paying tribute to Native Americans, though the word Indians is, is out of fashion at the very least. The thing is you can't control your fans. And so these idiots that are showing up in red face, you're tacitly endorsing that and you can't control that. And so it's out of your control. And once it's out of your control, then you have to jerk it back into to some semblance of I, I societal just, acceptability. I th- again, I think it's very dangerous if you allow idiots idiot fans to dictate you changing your name because some idiots embrace something in a way that wasn't intended and makes it bad, so now we got to go change the name. You know, the Braves removed Chief Nakahoma because it was offensive uh, as their mascot, which was understandable. But if we keep doing this, the Braves are next. You know, there's going to be other names that's like, that we can't do that anymore, so now it's going to have to be a different name in Atlanta. Just be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be very careful with this. Uh, Devontae Adams and the Packers are at odds. goes beyond just Aaron Rodgers. We have the tweet with the, the news, Jacob, of Devontae Adams uh, coming to an impasse on contract talks with the Green Bay Packers. He has a year left on his deal, and we'll read you the report in just a moment. But uh, this is on the eve of starting training camp where we, we know questions are abound about Aaron Rodgers. And now it's also about their number one wideout, their all-pro, Pro Bowl wide receiver, Devontae Adams. Uh, reports are that uh, they're nowhere close to a, a extension. No current plans to resume them, according to Ian Rappaport. Two sides have been negotiating for months, but are now in a bad place, sources say. First the quarterback, now the number one wide receiver. Speaking of number one wideouts, DeAndre Hopkins, Chad making some headlines yesterday for a deleted tweet. Yes, and we have that deleted tweet because I saw it and took a screenshot of it before he could delete it. I honestly thought that if if you're going to tweet this out, and we're going to show it to you if you're watching right now, if you're going to tweet this out, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way you're retweeting it, right? I mean, you're you're pretty committed. Or deleting it, you're saying. Sorry, yeah, deleting it. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins tweets, never thought I would say this, but being put in a position to hurt my team because I don't want to partake in the vaccine is making me question my future 
in the at NFL, and he mentions the NFL with that. Um, I don't think Cole Beasley is deleting any of his tweets. It's getting a lot of fire back on Cole Beasley. I'm a little surprised that DeAndre Hopkins would feel strongly enough to tweet that, and then almost immediately, I saw it right when he tweeted it, and then you know took a screenshot. Then he quickly deletes it. There's screenshots everywhere. Yeah, and he's look, he's getting bashed now for it, and and maybe he doesn't want the heat with that. Maybe he got some immediate heat that he didn't like, and he decided to delete it. I, I don't know what the case is. He then had some some strange tweets after that. Freedom question mark was one of them. Then he said something else about you know people turn on you politically quickly when you know they're all in on your corner and then they completely get out because of this because of how divisive it is and everything else um it's uh it's it's one tip of the iceberg that is enormous with this whole story and the biggest chip now the nfl has to play for people that do not want to get vaccinated is to pit teammate against teammate and that's what DeAndre Hopkins is, is hinting at, right? He's saying the fact that they're putting me in this spot where I'm a bad teammate or I'm going to hurt my team possibly because I don't want to go get the vaccination is wrong of the NFL. But that also, from the NFL's perspective of what they're thinking, that's how they get to their solution. They want everyone vaccinated. And to get it closer to being everyone vaccinated, maybe the pressure point is you're a bad teammate you're putting your teammates at risk by doing this, not of the virus. You're putting your teammates at risk of forfeit. You're putting your teammates at risk of looking bad on Sundays. And Paul, we know the most sacred thing in sports is the locker room. So if you can, if you can properly divide the locker room with this, that's where they're going to get some results. Maybe. Possibly. Maybe, though uh, I am surprised guys are talking about it on Twitter the way they are because prominent people like Albert Breer uh, have said it's a third rail thing in in locker room situations. Not that there's been a lot of locker room time, but during OTAs and, and mini camps, it was considered a third rail thing. So I my sense is it's not being talked about amongst the guys, but mm-hmm. it is being talked about amongst some guys in public like this. I'd like to extend it beyond this. You know, go back to to kneeling protests and the political debate with Trump and, and all of that stuff. Take it to any issue that players have have had with the league. Rashard Matthews here in Tennessee, I think, said if, if they make us, uh, remind me, Hutton, if they make us stand for the anthem, I'd, I'd sooner not play. Was that his thing? He had something where he said, if they make us do X, I'll, I'll retire, you know. Not once have we seen a guy, I think, who's come out so strongly say, I'm so staunch about this thing, it really makes me consider my future. None of them have followed through on what they say. All of these guys are a lot of talk, but none of them act on the talk. So uh, to me, it really lessens your thing when so many guys are so perturbed and pissed off. But when push comes to shove, everybody falls in line. So I'm looking for the real... Uh, standout guy. I guess Ka- Kaepernick did it, but Kaepernick but, didn't have a lot of options. But when push comes to shove, if you're all going to stand up and wave this big flag like this is some huge violation, I'd rather not play, where's the guy who's going to not play? I don't see him. Well, I, I think Paul standing up and, and not falling in line in this instance is not getting the vaccine. So DeAndre Hopkins doesn't have to retire. He's just going to continue to not get the vaccine. But he's chirping like Cole he's Beasley retire. has said the same thing, right? He's like, I made plenty of money. Uh, I'm going to live my life and have freedom and do what I want. And if the NFL comes to me and says, you have to get the vaccine to play, I'll retire. The NFL hasn't said that yet. The Bills could easily come to Colby and say, we're going to cut you because it's a problem for the team. I don't think that's happened yet either. Well, the, the NFL actually but, stopped their general manager from going as far as to say he would consider signing a vaccinated player over an unvaccinated player. But the whole offseason. league is going to do that. And at cut time, it's certainly going to be a factor. Nobody's going to be allowed to talk about it. But your availability or your your ability well, to get you to the, to the line that eases restrictions and your ability to have a guy uh, come back after two negative, quick negative tests or be gone for 10 days if he's positive – this availability is a huge concern to your team, given two guys who are roughly equal at the bottom of the roster. You know who they're I think it, here's, here's the issue, and we're going to get to the VolQuest Power Hour in, in just a minute, and we can, we can hit this at the end. The, the discussion points of the offseason were reaching a certain threshold for a roster to where you didn't have certain protocols if you reached a percentage threshold. This week it changed. 
it changed to if you're unvaccinated and you test positive and you cause an outbreak on that team, you will forfeit without pay. That is a different target than what the NFL has been saying. Today, more movement. Where Alan Sills, the doctor for the NFL, is saying that if a player has had COVID-19 and receives one shot, not two, one dose of a two vaccine, he will be considered fully vaccinated. So again, they continue to change the rules and regulations along the path of getting to the season. And the players who may be on a team that have 80 to 90% vaccination rates. 85 is the threshold. 85 is the threshold. They may be on a team that has that and they may not want the vaccine, but they're on a team that reaches the threshold. They have met that requirement based on the off-season protocols of the National Football League. And on the eve of camp, it's changed to forfeit without pay. That's the issue that the players are having with the stance that the NFL continues to trickle out there through the media. And the timeline should, I, I give you that, the timeline should have been consistent because you're not considered fully vaccinated until two weeks after your right. second shot. So there should have been a hard and fast rules in place by that two weeks so that you were making a decision on vaccinated or not. If you were going to get the shots, you would have had your second shot by that two weeks and reported for all but two teams on Tuesday, knowing you're in or out. Coming up, we have the VolQuest Power Hour. Brent Hubbs, Austin Price are about to join us. A ton to talk about from Hoover and a ton to talk about from Knoxville. We'll get to that. Plus, at the end of the Tennessee Power Hour, injury news on A.J. Brown, Taylor Lewan, and what that could mean for day one of training camp. That's all straight ahead on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.